Our reading this morning picks up Matthew's gospel story at literally the last few words of the book. While they are still reeling from the horrors of the crucifixion, Jesus suddenly appears to the women whom had loved him and followed him throughout his ministry. Appearing to them, he says, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. This is where we pick up the story this morning, reading from chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Creator, the Christ, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's take a moment in prayer. Holy One, through these words, illumine for us this morning your spirit, your light, your guidance. In the name of the Christ, we pray. Amen. So let me start by saying that there is a lot packed into these four short verses. We could, in fact, make an argument that these verses hold the seeds of Christianity's unfortunate and long history of forced baptisms. We could make an argument for rigid adherence to biblical commandments as a way of obeying everything that Christ commanded. We could focus on the single, single and only promise Jesus ever made to his disciples, one I personally hold very close to my heart. But of all the authorization and instruction and promise packed into these verses, there is one thing that strikes me as overlooked and underrated, and some doubted. Now, most of you know me pretty well, so most of you probably can imagine my response to this. Someone like when my daughter used to say, you don't love me anymore. And I would respond, anymore? (laughs) Just saying. (laughs) So my response was, some? We don't like to doubt. And when we do doubt, we surely don't like to admit it. 
preparing for this morning, I noticed that in over 95% or thereabouts of my go-to resource books, there was plenty to say about doctrine and dogma, footnotes and everything, but there was literally not one word about doubt. Now, I can't say I was surprised. After all, we Christians have a name for those who doubt, don't we? Thomas, doubting Thomas. So, who's Thomas? Thomas's fame, or infamy, if you prefer, comes from John's Gospel. Thomas happens to be absent when Jesus first appears to the disciples after being raised. Of course, when Thomas returns, the disciples excitedly tell him, we have seen the Lord. But instead of jumping up and down with the rest of them, out of Thomas's mouth come the words, unless I see the marks of the nails in his hand, and I put my finger in the marks of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. So it would seem that the moral of the story is, if you don't want to be remembered 2,000 years from now, for your doubt, you best keep it to yourself. And yet, the next time Jesus appears, Thomas is there and standing face to face with the guy he doubted. Jesus invites Thomas to put his finger on his palm and his hand in his side. Jesus invites Thomas's doubt. And Thomas is then freed to respond, my Lord and my God. Martin Luther said, faith is a free surrender and a joyous wager on the unseen, unknown, untested goodness of God. So let's take a moment and let me repeat that. Faith is a free surrender and a joyous wager on the unseen, unknown, untested goodness of God. How would our lives change if we freely surrendered and joyously wagered on the unseen, unknown, untested goodness of God? For me, I would admit to you, but more importantly to myself, that I doubt all the time. I doubt the direction I'm going and if what I'm doing is making a whit 
of difference. I doubt if anyone cares. I doubt constantly if what I'm doing is what I'm supposed to be doing, and if it isn't, I doubt whether even God can help me figure out what it is I am supposed to be doing. I doubt. Am I alone? And here's the problem with doubt. And no, it isn't that it might define us 2,000 years in the future. First, it's uncomfortable. It has this skin-isn't-fitting-quite-right feel to it that is just no fun. But secondly, and I believe of much more consequence, we as a society, if not as a planet, are so incredibly enamored of people who are sure of themselves that the current experience in the U.S. is a presidential administration filled with people who have no experience, but plenty of bravado. We live in a world plagued with certainty that has morphed into dogmatism, which has calcified into absolutism, both in the U.S. and abroad. The expressions of this calcification seem to have manifested either as xenophobia or violent fundamentalism, and the clash of the two has been catastrophic and often deadly. Friends, what if we were to join the ranks of the doubters? What if we were encouraged to find comfort or release or just simple honesty in our not knowing? What if we practiced at least on a semi-regular basis saying as Brian McLaren did at Companions, wow, I see that differently to those who disagree with us, knowing that the unseen God lives in them too? What if we allowed our doubts to surface and have voice? What if our stance was one of humility rather than certainty? In September of 2014, the most reverend Justin Welby Archbishop of Canterbury, in other words, head of the Anglican Church, expressed his doubts about whether, quote, God is really here, end quote, in a radio interview with the BBC. As you might imagine, this had some repercussions. He heard about it. But imagine for a moment what it might have been like if what the most reverend Welby had heard rather than gasps at his admission of humanness were things like, thank God you were so transparent. 
I doubt too. Imagine the possibilities if the admission of doubt by the head of the state church of England had sparked a national conversation about the challenges to faith that exist in a world where a single person can walk into a concert filled with teen and preteen girls and their moms and with the simple push of a button kill and injure so many. Is it possible as church-going, professing believers that the most warm, welcoming, inclusive act we could possibly offer is being honest about those times that we are filled with doubt. And taking a complete flyer here, what if our own doubts could offer a glimpse into the mystery the psalmist question asks. What are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them? What if we were as free and real and honest as Thomas? Amen. Thank you.